Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA on this Wednesday, March 2nd. We are continuing to watch the markets. The volatility is still in place. Crude oil up big again today on Wednesday. The grain's taking a little bit of a breather. We'll talk to Arlen Suderman in segment three about exactly what is happening here in the market. So stay tuned for that. Prior to Arlen, though, we're going to talk with Robert White. He's with the Renewable Fuels Association. And a lot of us have noticed that gas prices are climbing with the move in crude that's going to continue the renewable fuel association has some ideas that this administration could do to bring down the cost of gas we'll talk to robert about those thoughts here in a minute at the end of the show we're going to check in with todd neely of dtn there has been some headlines recently in the world of biofuels we're seeing consolidation develop in that industry todd's been tracking it at dtn and he'll give us an update at the end of the show but before we jump into all of that we've got to talk about the weather both here here in North America and in South America, where those crops are still being grown. And to help us dissect the weather today, Ed Valley of Empire Weather joins us. And Ed, looking at the map, it's going to be 82 degrees in Kansas City today. This is quite a warm-up we're experiencing. Yeah, no kidding, Mike. And it's, it's, it's a situation where a lot of these guys are getting their first 70s and 80s of the year, and, and everybody's thinking, okay, well, spring's on the way. Well, not so fast. We still have quite a bit of winter weather left to go before we can regularly be enjoying these nice temperatures. All right. Well, that's not that what I was hoping to hear, Ed. I thought we'd be 70 and warmer from here on out. Where do you see the next shot of winter weather coming across here, the bulk of, uh, of the United States? Well, you know, this week here is uh, really not too bad. We have some warmer temperatures, like you mentioned, and I think we're really going to be continuing to, to stay on the warmer side right through uh, most of this week. Now, as we press into the weekend, we do have a pretty significant system on the maps from Friday night into Saturday, and that's mostly rain down along I-80, but as you head up into the Dakotas and parts of Minnesota, I think that part of the world could see a pretty significant winter storm. I mean, it's a little early for snowfall amounts, but we could be looking at a windswept snow in parts of the Dakotas, parts of northern Minnesota, parts of even eastern uh, uh, Montana, and then obviously to the south, Parts of Iowa, parts of uh, Kansas, southeastern Nebraska could even be dealing with a little bit of severe weather. So we got a little bit of everything for uh, everyone here this weekend. Well, okay. We'll be watching for that moisture, Ed, out farther west. As you look at the, the Sierra Nevada and the Pacific Northwest, are, are you expecting to see any rainfall percolate across those mountains? Yeah, I do. I, I think there is going to be an opportunity here to end the week. Doesn't look like a ton of moisture, but obviously, they need anything they can get, right? And I, I do believe we're going to see pretty decent opportunities here to end the week. And even right into the weekend, we have a nice little storm system coming on in. And really beyond that, I think as we get towards the middle and end of next week, so think around maybe the 10th or so of March, there could be another system coming up further north, parts of uh, Washington and Oregon. That could bring some good moisture to that, to that area. But I think it's down south earlier this weekend that's when we could be seeing some of that moisture. So again, anything can help, but they're still quite dry uh, compared to where they should be. 
Yeah, they certainly are. And Ed, you mentioned potentially the risk of severe weather. And given that it's early, you're watching Friday, Saturday for this event, where do you expect to see the severe weather pop up? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I believe right now it's going to be somewhere in southeastern Nebraska, parts of western and, and southern Iowa, and parts of northern Missouri. That part of the world, later in the day, Saturday, and even into Saturday evening, does have the risk of some severe weather, gusty winds, heavy rain, maybe even some hail. So we're starting off spring a little early here, but, um, you know, these types of events really aren't all that uncommon as we head deeper into March. As we head into March, Ed, of course, we're still watching that La Nina indicator there in the Southern Pacific. What is it telling you? It's telling us a lot. It really is. And, and this La Nina has been with us for almost two years now, and we've seen the impact that La Nina has had across both parts of both hemispheres, you know, right, right in our neck of the woods here with dryness here in the plains and parts of the Midwest last summer. And then this past uh, winter down in South America, we've seen the dryness in southern Brazil and Argentina. So I think this, this La Nina has been very impactful. And as we press forward, we should continue to see that La Nina weaken. Now, the thing about La Nina is, even if it weakens, it takes some time for the atmosphere and those ocean temperatures to couple, which means that even if we see that transition, I think we're going to be dealing with La Nina-like impacts right through the spring months, which could, could is, could is the key word, continue to promote some of that dryness across a lot of the plains. Okay, so dryness, it could be extended with this La Nina taking too long to slow down. What about moisture? Yep. And again, I want to focus on that Southern Plains, of course, pulled up the drought monitor. There's a lot of severe drought that we're watching in this country. Could any of that benefit as La Nina weakens further? So, I, you know, at this point, uh, unfortunately, I don't see a ton of moisture down that part of the world. And, you know, it's funny, we were just out there visiting a few clients here over the past few days. And I tell you, it has been just as dry as you think it has been. It's been quite, quite dry. And, and moving forward, a lot of these systems, I think, are mostly going to be impacting east of the I-35 corridor, so Wichita, eastward, up towards, you know, eastern Kansas and then back into Missouri. So our friends in Panhandles, our friends in western Kansas, eastern Colorado, I think they're going to be continuing to deal with dryness here through March and, and likely through most of the spring season. Oof, we'll continue to watch the impact that's going to have on the cattle herd. Ed, while we've got you on the line, we've got to talk about South America. That harvest is continuing across parts of Brazil. What's the outlook look like? Are they going to continue moving this crop out? Yeah, so, you know, I think for now we're, we are seeing that those soybeans come out of the ground here, and, and we're seeing enough moisture to get the safrina in as well. I, I think that's a big headline. The pace at which safrina is being uh, planted here compared to last year. If you remember last year, we had the delayed first planting because of the dryness. We don't have that this year. So everything's progressing pretty nicely. We have um, over half of the crop is planted up north, and we are continuing to see it uh, you know, steadily increase down south as well. They need a little bit more moisture in parts of Mato Grosso do Sol and Paraná. Those areas should see that moisture over the coming week. So I think by this time next week, we're going to be in pretty good shape in the forward-looking forecast through most of the month of March does offer precipitation chances in most of Brazil. So could that potentially cause some delays with the soybean harvest? Perhaps. But I think more importantly, we're going to get the moisture we really need here to get that safrina in the ground properly. All right. Things to keep an eye on temp-wise in South America. They're continuing to cool off, I imagine, this time of year. Anything of note, Ed? 
Yeah, this week is a little warm in Argentina and southern Brazil. But again, this time of the year, we're mostly talking about soybeans. And the soybeans generally can handle some upper 80s to near 90 degrees as long as it comes with moisture, right? So I think generally the heat this week is about as strong as we're going to have through the month of March. So we're going to start decreasing some of that heat the later we get into the month. And things look pretty good from a temperature standpoint moving forward. All right. Lots to keep an eye on with the weather. Thanks to Ed Valley of Empire Weather for keeping us updated. Appreciate it, Ed. Thanks, Mike. And folks, stick around. Robert White from the Renewable Fuels Association will be joining us next. We're going to talk about what the Biden admin could do in this year ahead to lower gas prices. Stay with us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this year? Be sure to stop by the UPL booth to talk with their crop specialists. We also have some exciting news we'll be unveiling that you won't want to miss. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the UPL booth on Thursday, March 10th from 9 to 10 a.m. Stop by booth 5320 or listen live at 9 a.m. on the Agriculture of America radio network. We look forward to seeing you at this year's Commodity Classic in New Orleans. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind, like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it, or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell 
Everything's changed. It is told. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in today. President Biden addressed the country last night. He gave his State of the Union address and obviously talked about the, the fight over in Russia, uh, or in Ukraine, rather, with Russia. And he also spent a lot of time talking about inflation. Higher prices, folks, are everywhere. We're seeing them in our daily life nearly, nearly any place we go. And one place they've really jumped out to a lot of American consumers is at the gas pump. California Fuels, a friend of mine lives out there, posts a picture on Twitter this morning, every blend of fuel over six bucks at his station in Los Angeles. These prices are high and the administration would like to bring them down. So they say, well, the Renewable Fuels Association has been looking at ways in which we could do that. Joining me today is Robert White. He's the vice president of industry relations with the RFA. Robert, thanks for joining us. These are volatile times in the fuel industry, aren't they? Oh, very much so. I was thinking this morning as I was looking through some numbers, I was wondering if any of your producer listeners are, are actually listening or they're just staring at those market screens. It's just volatility at full force. It is. It's it's hard to focus on anything else when the markets are moving as much as they are. And Robert, one place where markets are really, really moving is crude oil. We are seeing a push for energy around the world and U.S oil prices are climbing. Is this a win for ethanol? Are, are we becoming more competitive as crude continues to spot skyrocket in value? Oh, we're definitely more competitive. I don't know that high energy prices are really truly good for anyone, especially long-term, especially consumers, but you're seeing a situation where gasoline, as a result of that crude oil increase, is, is up 51 cents in three days and you're seeing the spread between ethanol and gasoline is now at 78 cents a gallon. So it, it, the math is extremely simple, and that's before you get into the RIN and the blending economics, which further drive it. You're looking at a market wholesale value where E10 is significantly less than in pure, or pure gasoline, rather. And then you have E15, a dime under that, and E85 can be upwards of $1.50 a gallon under regular unleaded at the wholesale marketplace. Yeah, these prices are staggering. 51 cent national average increase in three days and looking at the market today, I can't imagine that's gonna reverse itself anytime soon. Robert, as you think, as the ethanol industry looks at this, how, how can biofuels, renewable fuels play a part throughout this year, short term, in bringing down fuel prices? What could this administration do that would help get more liquid fuels out into the marketplace? Well, we have continued to remind administration after administration, but this one in particular, that they have a very easy lever that they can pull. Uh, E15 is that example. As I mentioned, the wholesale price is a dime under uh, E10, which is significant when you see no mileage penalty, it's higher octane, and you get all the other benefits associated with ethanol. But for the, this administration, looking at lowering carbon and lowering emissions, this is the perfect solution. And at the same time, it lowers the price of fuel. What we've seen is just a continued delay of some of the opportunities that EPA has 
with an E15 streamlining rule that was has really been ready to go since last January. And I'm not talking a month, uh, two months ago. I'm talking 14 months ago. And then, of course, we have the summer volatility issue with E15, uh, the rescinding of the one-pound waiver for E15 from June 1 to September 15th. All of these could be resolved in a final fashion so that it would be permanent or could be done through an emergency waiver type situation. But the signal to the retailers is that E15 is not going to be on the table for the summer months, so they're not making any plans or adjustments to do that. But if the administration, if EPA made that signal, they would do that, and you would see that opportunity. And again, yesterday, Mike, if you didn't see our press release, the latest information shows that 2021, the ethanol blend rate in the United States was 10.34%. That shows that the blend wall doesn't exist. It's all about the rhetoric. It's all about the regulation. Let's clear the path and let's help consumers save some money and obviously meet some of those other goals, not only of the administration, but of, of the oil refiners, at least what they're saying in public. Robert, you mentioned E15 several times. That has been a political football over the past year with court decisions rescinding the ability to sell it year-round. Tell us a little bit more, if you would, about the E15 streamlining rule. What would this rule look to do in the context of E15? Well, last week at our, our national conference, we had a retailer panel, and one of the things they, they honed, on and honed in on was that at the federal level, you have rules, and then every state adds on to that, and you just don't have a clear path uh, state by state on how to introduce E15. And in fact, some states are actually being avoided at this point because of the red tape. So one of the things in this E15 streamlining rule was to clean up the label so that there was a consistent label and maybe not as scary as the label as we have today, the orange and black label. And at the same time, it went into the equipment compatibility side. So that was extremely clear that if your equipment is compatible with E10, it is going to be compatible with E15. That is the way it was tested for uh, more than a decade, and that was the, the idea that was laid out to the equipment manufacturers and what they built to. And since E15 is approved, they've, they've even ramped that up to uh, approval all the way up to E25 or 25% ethanol. So this is just clearing up the, the red tape, saying that uh, what equipment is truly compatible and would allow a lot more retailers to offer E15 quickly. And in this case, one of the things that we don't talk about probably enough is that the court decision from this year only applies to the conventional fuel markets. So that's, that is about 70% of the fuel sold in our country, but all those reformulated gas lean markets, the, the bigger cities across our country, the entire state of New York, entire, entire state of California, those are all those reformulated gas lean markets, and we can sell E15 year-round in those if all these approvals take place. Now, one of the things I did see after that court decision last year, there were several states, Robert, who were looking for uh, approval from E15 to go ahead and, or excuse me, approval from EPA to sell E15 year round. Have any of those states formally made that request to EPA? Are you aware? No, not at this point. There were eight states, mostly uh, Kansas, uh, Nebraska, Iowa, and North. Uh, they basically reached out to EPA and said, how do we do this? How, how if we wanted to essentially opt out of the one pound waiver for E10 so that all of our fuel had the same volatility and it wouldn't matter what blend of ethanol was in it, what would that look like? And those conversations have started uh, with EPA, but we haven't seen a formal filing. At this point, uh, you know, 20, the summer of 2022 is getting extremely close. Uh, the terminals have to make decisions well, be, well ahead of that June 1st deadline. They have to make sure 
all the fuel in the marketplace is meeting those summertime standards, so you start backing up the calendar. But again, we have an, what I would easily declare or determine as an emergency situation, not only because of fuel prices, but the energy concerns around the world with what's going on in the Ukraine, and we simply have a lever that the administration can pull. We certainly do. And Robert, I've been reading some requests popping up mainly across social media, across some of the news organizations, that the Biden administration should simply issue a blanket repeal of the Reed vapor pressure rules for this summer. Would that in and of itself help us get E15 back into pumps year-round, or would that just be too little too late for these retailers to to think about stocking? Well, there'd definitely be a lot of them. I mean, we're we're in the thousands of stations that have E15 today, so obviously those would continue on through the summer months if it's given in, in a relatively, uh, you know, <laughs> decent timeline from today. You know, we're we're still got a month or so, so those adjustments could be made, and those perhaps those contracts could be adjusted. So yeah, it, it would be important. It's really what we're talking about here is um, eliminating that volatility issue during the summer months from June 1 to September 15th. You mentioned the National Ethanol Conference was last week. Robert, as you think about the things that were discussed in the context of this new high-priced crude battle in the Ukraine, are there things our listeners need to, to be aware of with regard to the ethanol industry moving forward this year? Well, I think the, the one important thing that we've tried to highlight is we still have idled ethanol production capacity, and this is from before uh, even COVID. This is from the small refinery exemptions that were uh, really given out like candy during the Trump administration, and you compound that with the uh, lack of demand through COVID. We have a lot of idle capacity. Ironically, that idle capacity is almost exactly the same amount of the Russian crude that we're still importing. And I think that's significant. That it, that should be a, a symbol for a lot of people that you could replace that Russian crude with homegrown fuel that again meets all of the uh, desires of this presidential administration, and and again the, at least the the public speak of the oil industry and their their desire to decarbonize. Absolutely, and it promotes energy security. And this uh, crisis in Eastern Europe has highlighted the importance of that. Robert White, Vice President of Industry Relations with the Renewable Fuels Association, thanks for coming on and filling us in on this important topic today. Thanks, Mike. Have a great day. And folks, stick around. We'll be talking with Arlen Suderman of StoneX about these wild markets when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, 
Farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm Radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. While we continue to see the Ukrainian war, the main topic of conversation, traders are taking time to consider economic news today, though, as well, with updated private sector jobs numbers and testimony from Fed Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell talking about rising interest rates. The ag markets are mixed as wheat prices again are trading sharply higher. They did so in the overnight and continuing here into the day session. Quarter beef prices, a little bit of profit taking, especially in soybeans as we get some new South American production estimates emerging Wheat prices, again, expanding the daily uh, trading limits higher, though, it appears. As we work through the day, another uh, day of watching what's going on in Ukraine. However, the profit-taking, you know, seeing consolidation in soybean prices this morning. Stonex Brazil released its updated production estimates based on latest uh, customer surveys. They pegged Brazil's soybean crop at 121.2 million metric tons, down from 126.5 last month. The all-corn production estimate remained unchanged at 116.1. As producers wait to see how the weather plays out for the large safrina crop that is currently being planted. Let's take a look at some numbers right now. Corn for May, 12 and three quarters higher, 738 and a half. December new crop corn, that is currently down eight, 616 and three quarters. May beans, 11 and three quarters lower, 1678 and a quarter. August down 10, 1606. May bean meal, that's down 350 a ton, 450, 80. May bean oil down 8.7613. May Chicago wheat up 75, 1059. May Kansas City wheat up 75 at 1078. May spring wheat up 50 and a half at 1104 and a quarter. Live cattle feeder cattle trading higher. April feeder cattle up 157, 161.37. April live cattle up 60, 141.12. April hogs down 40, 105.80. Crude oil up 522 at 108.63. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today. And next, we're talking with Arlen Suderman. These markets have been extremely volatile. Well, they've been volatile for some time, but that has accelerated over the past week. Arlen's going to help us figure out what is happening here. And Arlen, before we get into the grains and the ag commodities, one of the major topics of conversation in last night's State of the Union address, and again today with Jerome Powell testifying in Congress, is inflation. What have we heard from Powell? Are we still going to see rates climb in March, Arlen? Yeah, it looks that way. In fact, uh, we could be looking at a 50 basis point increase. And uh, so that is a, a real risk. As we look at the comments that have come out from Jerome Powell thus far this morning, he's indicating that uh, really nothing has changed as far as their view of monetary policy with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, that they still believe that inflation is a major task ahead of us that needs to be tackled, needs to be tamed, and they're still moving forward. So then the key is, and, and they'll be coming out with their actual policy statement that's revised in two weeks, two weeks from today, is how much do they raise the rate in this month's meeting? Will it be 25 basis points? Will it be 50? Will it be something more than that? And what do they say in, in, the, in their prepared comments about their plan for reducing the balance sheet? I think that becomes a greater focus as we go forward along with interest rates. What does that mean? We have trillions of dollars of stimulus in the economy right now, and that's helping to create these inflationary pressures. So if they release, uh, excuse me, remove that stimulus from the economy, that should slow demand down, consumption down, to bring it back to normal levels and won't fix the inflation problems, but should greatly reduce the inflation problems. But the side effect of it is that's also a more natural way for raising interest rates, particularly the longer term interest rates. We would anticipate that they would put a heavier emphasis on the mortgage-backed securities they've been buying and pulling back some of those, dumping those back onto the market. That'll see those longer-term rates for my mortgages, et cetera, go up, up probably at a faster clip, strengthening the yield curve. But I would warn producers out there, watch your interest rates on those variable rate uh, operating loans because they could have significant upside risk this year. Uh, being someone who lived through the what we saw 40 years ago, I'm not saying that's the path that we're on, but things can happen much faster than what you anticipate, particularly when we're talking about crude oil prices today uh, topping $112 a barrel. We've got a lot of upward pressure on inflation coming yet. We certainly do, Arlen. And with regard to crude oil uh, prices, we did hear we're going to do another coordinated release of strategic petroleum reserves around the world. Arlen, that didn't do much for oil prices in November. Last time we tried it, is it going to be a different story this time? No, no. In fact, when it was announced yesterday, crude oil was making new highs and continued higher. Uh, they're talking about 60 million barrels being dumped onto the world market, 30 of that here in the United States. That's less than a one-day supply. So what it does is reduce the available supplies that we have available to us in a true emergency while having virtually no impact on price whatsoever. So in my opinion, it's kind of short-sighted. The market saw it as that way, and it really had no effect. It, it made nice headlines, but no effect on the inflation pressures. Okay, let's take a look over at the grain markets, Arlen. We've got soybeans. It looks like they are they're pulling back big today. Is this just a little bit of capitulation from the rally we've seen over the past week? 
It is. And, you know, if you look at the wheat market, that's where the real story is related to Russia, Ukraine, and some of it is in corn as well. Soybeans have been going higher for two reasons. The primary reason had been the weather situation in South America. The secondary reason had been the sharp gains that we were seeing in the edible oils market because we've taken all the sunflower oil that's grown in the Black Sea region off of the world market, and that's created a dash for other edible oils. Well, that's really started rationing demand for those edible oils, and so uh, we're seeing a little bit of a consolidation there in some of the oils, but also a, a sense that maybe we've priced in the weather risk in South America. I think that's still a subject of debate, but keep in mind that markets rarely go straight up or straight down. They have these periods of consolidation, and I don't think the market really fully understands the implications of the shorter crop in, in South America. With our Brazil team, now at 121.2 million metric tons. We've when you for Brazil when you throw in the losses in Paraguay and in Argentina, we've essentially lost about 1.3 billion bushels of production from South America as a whole. And our team in Brazil has reduced their export target down to 75 million metric tons. I think that's about 15 million metric tons below where it was. So where are those soybeans going to come from? We are seeing some slowing demand in China because of the poor feeding margins, but not 15 million metric tons worth. So that means more of those soybeans have to come from the U.S. balance sheet, both from this year's and next year's. So as we figure it, um, we're looking at ending stocks for the current marketing year much lower than what USDA is currently showing, closer to 182 million bushels, whereas USDA, I think, is at 310 million bushels. And then we see a need to grow at least, nine, plant at least 90 million acres of soybeans this year, and then hope that we have good weather throughout the growing season so we can meet the demand that's coming up in the year ahead. Arlen Stonex is working with growers across the country. You've probably got a feel for what folks are planting. Do you think that 90 million acres of beans is achievable given the rally we're seeing in the corn market? Uh, 90 million acres of soybeans is achievable, but I don't think we're there yet. Uh, I don't think the market has done its work yet. It's been working hard to make sure we maintain at least 91 million acres of corn. I think we're probably at about 91.5 million acres of corn right now, uh, with most of the lost acreage being in the fringe of the Midwest and not in the Midwest itself or the core of the Midwest itself. Soybeans I would put right now at about uh, 89.7 million acres. I think we're still shot some acres there. Um, of course, we still have that soybean wheat rotation in the south and in the plains that pays very well as a double cropping mixture. Cotton is battling for acres in the south. Grain sorghum is battling for acres in the plains, particularly the central and southern plains. So there's a lot of crops fighting for acres right now, and even canola is going to be fighting for acres in the north. So a, a lot of crops fighting for acres. And I don't. I was at two uh, producer meetings in Iowa last week, and uh, at those producer meetings, I asked a raise of hands of who's planning on changing their crop rotation this year. One man raised his hand out of the two meetings. He came up to me afterwards and said, well, the only reason I'm changing my rotation is because I want to do some tiling in the fall, and so I want to plant more soybeans to make that a little bit easier to do. So, so far, the markets are all fighting for acreage. We've made a little bit of a shift from corn to soybeans, but probably not enough 
uh, to fill the need, especially if the short production estimates in South America verify for soybeans. Yeah, those short productions down in Brazil and Argentina are something to watch. And you mentioned the the sunflower oil shortage coming out of the Black Sea. Arlen, as you look at the soy products market, we've got bean meal, we've got bean oil, bean oil screamed to new highs. How much more capacity do we have to expand crush given the prices for soy products out there? Can we continue to see this crush up here around, uh, you know, 200 million bushels? Well, we added about 100 million bushels of crush capacity late last year. We'll probably add about that much throughout the year this year as well. As we get into next year, we're probably looking at better than 200 million bushels of crush being added. So we are adding it, not as fast as what some of the analysts out there are suggesting that we need to do so, um, but it is happening. It takes time for that infrastructure for the renewable fuels to to work and come along. So we are going to be shifting our demand structure to more domestic and the less exports going forward. I also wanted to throw in one other thing that's not getting much attention. As you talked about sunflower oil and we talk about corn, we have customers in Ukraine, and right now our conversations, uh, the farmers have all gone to war, so to speak. The infrastructure is broken down. There's no fuel available. Crop inputs are hard to find. We're already at the point where we'd suggest that the odds of a crop being planted in Ukraine this year are very slim. And so that means removing Ukraine's breadbasket production off of the world market for the next year as well, which I don't think the markets have really accounted for yet. And if, if that's a risk that's out there, Arlen, for these folks to be thinking about looking at December 22, December 23 corn sales, given the volatility, should folks still be, I mean, we got to be keeping our eye on those markets, I suppose, just as this thing goes forward. Yeah, you really do, but you have to keep your options open because we're looking at the potential for very volatile crop prices in the year ahead, <clears throat> as well as for crop input prices. If Particularly if natural gas gets shut off to Europe, we could see much tighter fertilizer supplies as well. Yeah, that is a concern additionally for the years ahead. Arlen, we've got you on the line. Feeder cattle have been struggling. It makes sense. Yesterday, well, the, the corn rally we've seen over the past week has certainly been hard on prices. Today, the corn market's a little a little split, a little bit of a up and down trade, but we're seeing feeders come back strong. Has anything happened here on the fundamental level for feeder cattle? Well, we've had some decent fundamentals for the cattle, and as you said, the big concern was feed prices. So with a little bit of a pullback and consolidation of corn a little bit, we're seeing a little bit of a pop in demand for those lighter weight cattle, uh, particularly around some areas that chart support. I don't know yet if it's going to change the trend. There's still some concerns about how high these feed prices may go. But for today, anyway, it's giving us a bounce. It is indeed Arlen Suderman of Stonex. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today, Arlen. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stick around. When we return, Todd Neely of DTN will talk about the consolidation that's developing in the biofuel space. Stay with us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex premium diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, 
I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen? Check, check, and check. Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So... When was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station. 
Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this year? Be sure to stop by the UPL booth to talk with their crop specialists. We also have some exciting news we'll be unveiling that you won't want to miss. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the UPL booth on Thursday, March 10th from 9 to 10 a.m. Stop by booth 5320 or listen live at 9 a.m. on the Agriculture of America radio network. We look forward to seeing you at this year's Commodity Classic in New Orleans. How many acres are you keeping an eye on? Another pair of eyes could be very helpful in protecting your ROI, especially ones that are highly trained. And that's what you'll get with an FS Crop Specialist. They can spot issues you might not even know you have using the latest technology, including thermal, drone, and NDVI imaging. Then they can get an early treatment plan started. Contact your local FS Crop Specialist to learn more about our crop scouting services. It's one more way FS is bringing you what's next. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Earlier in the program, we talked to Robert White from the Renewable Fuels Association about the fact that ethanol and biofuels are here as a solution to these higher fuel prices. Well, the past year has seen a lot of investment level activity in the biofuel space, both in ethanol, corn-based ethanol, and in the new and emerging space of renewable biodiesel. Todd Neely at DTN has been covering these stories. And Todd, let's talk first about the ethanol industry, we're seeing some consolidation in that space for the first time in years, aren't we? Yeah, Mike, uh, thanks for having me on today. Um, you know, 2020 was a very interesting year. As you know, uh, we had uh, the COVID the COVID situation arrive, so it led to lower gasoline demand, uh, and we saw ethanol plants really struggling that year. Um, and then what we're learning from Ocean Park, they just put out a new report. It's one of the the premier uh, organizations in the country that actually deal with mergers and acquisitions and biofuels. Um, and the report they put out said that uh, the ethanol industry saw more uh, mergers and acquisitions than it had in, in quite some time, at least five years. Uh, there were 12 ethanol plants that actually changed hands. Uh, and the interesting part of this is we saw some of the biggest uh, acquisitions and, and mergers that we've seen uh, in history. Uh, South Dakota-based Poet, uh, they acquired 800 million gallons of capacity, production capacity from Flint Hills Resources. Um, Ocean Park said that that is basically the largest single uh, transaction in, in, in ethanol history. Um, I think a lot of what's at the root of all of this, obviously, was the, the tough economics in 2020 and, you know, kind of carried a little bit over into 2021. Um, and then things really, really got tough on the industry. We saw a lot of plants that just never really came back into full production. Um, I think the you know the margins have been better, and I think we're seeing a lot of that come back. Uh, you know, and still we have a lot of doubt, a lot of uh, ups and downs when it comes to federal policy, and so there's a lot of things that play into it. Uh, and really, ethanol really uh, has seen a lot of these changes of hands over the years, um, but this particular past uh, this past year, 2021, was uh, kind of remarkable. Todd, as we think about the consolidation in the ethanol space, are most of these purchases happening from other biofuels companies? You mentioned Poet stepping in, making that very large acquisition. Or are we seeing conventional fossil fuel producers look at buying ethanol plants as a way to get into the game? Do we know from that report? 
Uh, you know, it's interesting, Mike. I think one of the things that we're seeing, and we've seen a little bit about this year, um, we've seen some of the big oil companies, Chevron is the latest, um, really expanding, you know, not only their their production and, and making biofuels more available, uh, you know, at the, at the retail level, but uh, we're seeing a lot of interest in renewable diesel, which is um, considered to be pretty much uh, you know, about as low carbon as you can get in terms of a biofuel. And uh, we saw Chevron this week make a an announcement that it, it bought Renewable Energy Group, which is based in Ames, Iowa. And so I really think uh, when, when you're talking about uh, the ethanol industry, a lot of uh, the transactions we saw in 2021 uh, were ethanol uh, companies buying ethanol plants. Uh, it wasn't really, um, you know, so much of an interest, uh, you know, in terms of the oil industry, but Definitely in renewable diesel. I think as we go forward, we're going to see uh, actual biodiesel companies. We're seeing some of that now where they're moving more toward, uh, you know, creating operations that produce renewable diesel. And so that's kind of the wave of the future. And I think uh, it's going to keep going. I think you're right. And apparently so does Chevron. You mentioned that was the uh, the acquisition making headlines late last week, perhaps earlier this week. Todd, tell us the details. How much is Chevron going to pay for REG? Uh, Mike, it's a big transaction. It's um, it's north of a billion dollars. Obviously, you know, Renewable Energy Group has been uh, they're one of the biggest producers of biodiesel, and they they've really expanded and and diversified uh, their company over the years. Uh, you know, they've removed they've moved into renewable diesel. Uh, you know, and the other the other aspect of this, I think we're seeing a lot of companies look at uh, acquiring feedstock supplies. Um, you know, kind of the ethanol plant model is that. Uh, farmers, you know, plants build in a, in a certain area and the farmers around that plant provide the feedstocks. Uh, but we're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of acquisitions in terms of the actual feedstock supply. And so companies that acquire feedstocks are being bought by companies that uh, are trying to become more green and trying to, uh, you know, change and improve that environmental footprint. And so uh, it's just a whole lot of things going on. A lot of a lot of things that I think, you know, when the when the RFS was created, uh, you know, 15 years ago, I'm not sure people foresaw a lot of the things that we're seeing now. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And it, this energy, this industry has continued to grow. Todd, you mentioned something interesting there, which is the fight over feedstocks. And yeah, I'm familiar with the ethanol model farmers coming together. Hey, we'll grow our corn, we'll sell it to the plant right here in town right. or nearby and fund it that way. What sort of acquisitions have we seen in the feedstock space for particularly renewable diesel? Well, you know, it's it's from all over the place. I mean, we've got we've got F, we've got oil companies rather, um, you know, showing some interest. We've got uh, biodiesel producers, renewable fuel uh, diesel producers that are looking at the same type of thing. And I think the biggest concern that we're hearing from from all of this is that, you know, as biodiesel, uh, you know, it's, it's seen a quite a struggle in the past several years, and a lot of that has to do with competition for feedstocks with renewable diesel. And I think that's the biggest thing you know, we're probably going to be tracking is, uh, you know, where a lot of these renewable diesel production facilities are going to get their feedstocks. And so uh, it's really coming at, it's really coming at an interesting time when, when you look at the emergence of renewable diesel, um, that emergence has created uh, quite a conundrum for biodiesel producers because they, they tend to use the same feedstocks and um, it's really a whole nother ball game. You know, we don't, when it comes to ethanol, we don't see anything like that. You know, it's it's corn going to ethanol. And, uh, you know, while there is some, you know, competition for feedstocks, uh, it's not quite the same. I mean, we're seeing 
we're seeing such a change in the dynamic um, in biodiesel and renewable diesel. And it looks like that change is going to continue. We heard a lot of comments last night from President Biden during a State of the Union about enforcing or improving the air and biofuels are a way to do that. Todd Neely from DTN, thanks for joining us on the show today. Great to be here. Thanks, Mike. Folks, tune in tomorrow to AOA. We're going to be talking about requests coming for the 2023 Farm Bill. Thanks for joining us today on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.